This Genesis chapter number 48 is where we'll be here today. And we, of course, have been for a number of months now studying the life of Joseph. And we're nearing the end of this particular life. We still have a little ways to go. Uh, but uh, it has been a very profitable study. It's been very helpful, at least to me, and I trust that the Lord has used it in your life as well. Uh, certainly the great characters of the Bible are like the great characters of today, right? All of us are, uh, are uh, weak and we're, we're broken. What's interesting about Joseph is the Bible doesn't say anything negative about him. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? I personally believe that's because he is a type or a picture of Christ in the Old Testament, and we know about our Savior that there is, there is no fault in him whatsoever. A pilot had it right that day. He didn't have too much right, but he had it that right that day when he said, I find no fault in him. Now, you spend enough time with me and you'll find plenty of fault in me, but you get to know the Savior and you'll find no fault in him whatsoever. Now, there was fault in the life of Joseph, but the Holy Spirit of God has not chosen to reveal specifically what that fault was. And so he's been a great study to us and been a great help to us as we've considered his life. I want you to look with me in the very first verse of Genesis chapter number 48, please. Verse number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. And I will make of thee a multitude of people and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren and their inheritance. Let me just kind of help you to understand exactly what's happening in verses 5 and 6. Jacob looks at his grandsons. He really looks at his son. He said, these two boys, my grandsons, they're mine. Sounds like just about every grandparent I've ever met, ever, ever known. So these boys are mine. They're not yours. They're mine. Just as, just as uh, Reuben and just as Simeon are mine, so these boys are mine. And then when he says in verse number six, he says, and thy issue which thou begettest after thee. He says, any other children you have? He said, those, those will be yours. <laughs> but these two boys are mine. That's what Jacob's saying here. Notice, skip down to verse number 21. And Israel said unto Joseph, behold, I die. But God shall be with you. Bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. With the Lord's help today, I'd like to preach to you a message I've entitled, A Double Portion. A Double Portion. Recently, while driving to school, I think it happened just this week, I was driving to school with my three youngest children. One of our children graduated a few years ago. We're on our way to school, and one of them piped up, and they asked me the dreaded question that every parent gets every now and then. Here was the question, Dad, which of us is your favorite child? 
As if, as if they made the assumption that the favorite child was in the van, the one which of us, you know, the other one is forgotten about. She's gone, she's graduated, you know, and, you know, forget about her. Which of us is your favorite child? I hate that question. Um, if you're a parent, you've probably been asked that question a time or two, maybe by your children or maybe by someone else. It's an impossible question to answer as a parent, right? Because each child is so very special and so very unique. Um, I, I, think, I think in some respects we, we may love all of our children a little differently because they're, they all have their own strengths and their own, and their own weaknesses. But, but we certainly love them all equally and, and the same and, and, uh, and, and are, are, are passionate about each and every one. So I did what all parents do. I assured them that that it would be impossible to love one child above the others and that they were all loved and they were all cherished by their mother and me. So in other words, I gave them the cop-out answer, right? <laughs> we don't have a favorite. We love, you. we love you all. But you know, such was not the case in the home of Jacob. Jacob had grown up in a home where his parents had chosen clear favorites and, and among their children, and Jacob perpetuated this behavior in his own home. But you know, it goes, it goes even deeper than that. Because not only did Jacob have a favorite son, he had a favorite child, but Jacob also had a favorite wife. Now that perhaps is maybe even crazier than having a favorite child, and it better be crazier in all of our minds, because as far as, I'm, as, far as I know, all of you are only married to one person if you're married here today. Jacob had, a, Jacob had a favorite wife. I think to myself that Jacob would only have ever married Rachel if it was up to him. I really believe that from the bottom of my heart. We know that there was some level of, of deceit that was, uh, that was perpetuated upon him and that he ended up marrying Leah in which he thought he was marrying Rachel. Rachel was the, what was the great love of Jacob's life. And if it would have been up to him, he would have only married her. But it wasn't up to him. He was tricked into marrying her sister first and then marrying her because he loved her so. And then eventually the, the two sisters were using handmaidens to sort of one-up the, the other. And so he added actually two wives to his, we might say, his harem. And so Jacob had four wives. He had 12 sons. Of the four wives, he had a preferred wife. And of the 12 sons, he had a preferred son. The truth of the matter is he came by that quite naturally because he grew up in a home in which uh, he was his mother's favorite and his brother was his father's favorite. And the, and the truth is, is that Isaac grew up similarly. He grew up in a home in which his father had two sons and he was the preferred son. He was the son of the promise. And I would just pause here for just a moment and I would just warn each and every one of us, be careful. Be careful the, the attitudes and the ways that you might conduct yourselves in your, in your homes because many times that spirit and that attitude is passed on to the next generation as it certainly was in this particular, in this particular scenario. As Jacob's life is coming to a swift conclusion, there's clear evidence that God God had also chosen to bless one of Jacob's sons above the others. Much of what Jacob says and does in this chapter, he is not doing on his own. In other words, he, he says some things in this chapter that are, that are clear prophecies. 
In other words, he is speaking by divine inspiration. The Holy Spirit of God has come into his life and has come into his heart. And some of the words that are coming out of his mouth are are prophetic words. They're coming from God. So when, when Jacob looks at his son Joseph and he says, I'm going to give you a double portion. I'm going to prefer you above the others. Understand, yes, there is a there is a sense in which this is a very personal thing, but also understand God is speaking in this chapter. God is at work in all of this. The Spirit of God has anointed Jacob in this moment to speak prophetically these words. And, and, and so the question is this, why is it that God pronounces in this chapter such blessing and such favor upon Joseph through the lips of his father? What is it about Joseph in which God says, essentially God is saying, I'm going to give you a double portion. I'm going to give you more than I've given the others. Psalm 1 reveals that a man is blessed as he avoids sinners and sinful influences and as he delights in the word of God. The psalmist writes, about the man who, who, who chooses to live this way. Listen to what he says in verse number three of Psalm 1. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. In other words, God is saying, God is saying, listen, if you and I will live like Joseph lived, all of us will get a double portion. If we'll choose to live the life that God has prescribed that we live, if we'll choose to avoid sinners and sinful influences, and if we'll choose to delight in the law of God and in the word of God, and we'll meditate upon it and we'll love it and we'll know it and we'll study it, you and I can receive a double portion as well. Whatsoever we do can prosper if we'll live that way. Sometimes people will complain about issues and problems Woe is me. Is it possible? Is it possible that in some respects they're sort of telling on themselves? Woe is me. My life is so miserable. It shouldn't be. No, not if, not if you're walking with God. Now, that's not excusing the fact that there will be trials, but I believe God gives joy in the midst of those trials, and God gives strength and grace in the midst of those trials. trials. Listen, to what, listen to what Isaiah said in, in, in chapter 3 and verse number 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Can I say that this is not simply an Old Testament principle? Some of you sitting here saying, well, you know, that's Psalms, that's Isaiah, that's Old Testament, that's for the nation of Israel, that's not really for us. The New Testament reinforces the truth of what is being said here. Listen to what the Bible says in, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked, For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, in some respects, what we find in Genesis 48 is Joseph coming to the day of harvest. All along, he had been sowing good seed into the ground. He tried to do the right thing. He tried to honor God and to honor his word. He had tried to keep a great distance between himself and sinners. 
He had tried to lift up the name of God and to perpetuate the grace of God everywhere he went. He showed kindness and he showed love and he showed generosity and he just kept sowing that seed into the ground, sowing that seed into the ground. Years went by. Perhaps there were moments in which Joseph was tempted to be weary and well-doing Maybe there were moments in which Joseph thought to himself, you know, I I suppose I've sowed enough good seed. I can go do some things that are pleasing to my flesh and satisfying to my fleshly carnal appetites. But he didn't do that. He continued to sow the good seed. And as we come to Genesis chapter number 48, he sits down with his father. His father looks at him and his father says, not just his earthly father, but his heavenly father says, today is a day of reaping. You have sown You have sown for decades, and now it's time for you to receive a double portion. Joseph had continued sowing to the Spirit during some very difficult days, and he now found himself, as all people will find themselves, who have sown to the Spirit. He found himself in a blessed season of significant reaping. His brothers, on the other hand, had a lengthy had a lengthy record of sowing to the flesh. They were known to be immoral. They were known to be violent. They were known to be deceitful. And much of their life, as we study it, much of their life was reaping the corruption that came along with that. But Joseph is different. Joseph is, is proclaimed to be, listen, the superior one. He is claimed to be the one worthy of a double portion among all his brethren by his father. But can I say this in reality? These prophetic words, they come from God. This isn't Jacob just, again, just continuing along in this idea of you've always been my favorite and now I'm going to really bless you in the, in the end. No, no, this is God that is at work here. God is speaking in this text. These prophetic words are from God. They, therefore, it increases their weight their significance, and it increases their certainty. I believe we can discern the following two lessons just by way of introduction about God and about his children as we consider the clear teaching that's found in God's word and then compare it with the life of Joseph. Number one, I want you to understand this, that God loves all of his children. God loves all of his children. There's no doubt about that. And by the way, by the way, I believe Jacob loved all of his sons too. Jacob loved Reuben, he loved Simeon, he loved Naphtali and Gad and Asher and the others, he loved all of Levi. Jacob loved all of his children, just as God loves all of his children. Now listen, never allow the devil to convince you otherwise. In moments when you might be tempted to doubt God's love for you, I, I want to just encourage you, just take one moment and take a glance at the cross of Jesus Christ and be reminded, certainly God loves A sinner like me, the pain Jesus endured, the blood that he shed, and the death he died was all a demonstration of his great love for you and for me. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Don't don't get that word world twisted in in that in that text. God, God, God doesn't love the mountains. God doesn't love the trees and the oceans. No, listen, God loves people. God loves people. He especially loves his children, all of his children. But you must also know this. Not only does God love all of his children, but you also must understand, as we discover in Scripture, that God's obedient children are blessed and highly favored. His obedient children are blessed and highly favored. 
Just as in your home you must punish wrongdoing and reward good behavior, so the Lord blesses those who obey him, while at the same time he must chastise those who live in sin. The reality is, if you'll understand the scriptures, that that the chastisement is a form of love. The Bible says that he that withholds the rod or spares the rod, he doesn't love his son. Sometimes we would think that. I'm sparing them of this pain. No, the reality is is that it's a form of hate. By bringing the rod into their life, we're saying, I love you. I'm doing this because of my great love for you. I want you to understand that that this this will save you in the long run. So even those that our father chastises, he is doing so with a heart and with a spirit of love. In Joseph's life, we see a pattern of consistent obedience all along the way and of keeping of God's laws. Joseph is a young man of character and integrity and that serves him all throughout his life. Consider consider that, that God blessed Joseph in two ways and that he highly favored Joseph in two ways. Number one, God blessed Joseph for his character and integrity professionally. God bless Joseph professionally. Joseph toiled as a servant. And then he toiled as a prisoner for probably 10 years or more. And he might have wondered if he would ever be anything other than this. In some respects, his career trajectory was actually going backwards. He started off as a servant. And because of the false accusation that was made against him, now he finds himself in prison. And I just have to think, you know, in those days, there probably wasn't much form of parole and parole officers and the idea of ever getting out. There had to have been, there had to have been days in Joseph's life in which he thought, I'll never be anything more than this. It's bad enough that I was a servant. It's even worse now. Now I'm a prisoner. I'm in this torture chamber, and I'll likely never emerge from this place But even there, listen, even there, he continued to sow good seed. He continued to do the right thing. He continued to sow to the Spirit, demonstrate obedience and faithfulness, and God allowed him to enjoy a season of reaping professionally. You see, at a certain point in time, he was lifted from the prison bars, and he was installed as the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. All of that happened in the space of one day. Think about this, he would spend the rest of his life, listen, 80 years, we believe he came out of prison. The Bible tells us he came out of prison when he was 30 years old. He died at the age of 110. He spent 80 years being professionally blessed and highly favored. Think about that for just a moment. Oh, did he have some difficult days in the prison and in the house of Potiphar without a doubt? Had some difficult days in his his own house, but in comparison God gave him much more even than a double portion of blessing professionally. You know, not only did God bless him in the professional sense, but God also blessed Joseph with family. I think it's interesting that the devil offered Joseph, he offered Joseph a temptation of a sexual relationship outside the bounds of matrimony in Genesis 39. In other words, words, Potiphar's wife was not his wife. And yet the devil brought her to him and said, here, you can have this if you want it. Sort of reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was during his earthly ministry and the devil brought him up on top of a mountain and said, you see all of this? This can all be yours. Well, number one, well, number one, devil, it already is his. And it, and it will forever be his. But the devil was offering him something before the time. 
before the time in which he would rightfully claim it. And the devil was doing the exact same thing to Joseph. Here, you can have this. You can have this relationship. No one will know. You can enjoy the, the, the temptation of a physical relationship outside the bounds of marriage. Joseph declined. And he did so many times. He declined on the basis of the principles of God's word and on the basis of the accountability that he had had before God. He understood that God was watching, that God was aware. Of course, you know the story. He was lied about as a result of that. He was thrown in prison where he likely assumed he would never ever get to be a husband. Not only would he never be in a position of maybe authority and, and professional success, but he probably thought to himself, I'll never be a husband. I'll never be a father. I'll never be a a grandpa someday. Those dreams are long gone. And yet, what did God do? God allowed him, shortly after he was removed from from prison, God allowed him to be blessed with a wife. With that wife, he would father two sons and some Nine years later, he would be reunited with his father and his brethren. His father, listen, his father admitted in this text, we didn't read it, but in verse number 11, he, had, he, he admitted, he said, I never imagined I would see your face, much less the faces of your sons. God had done all of this. God had blessed Joseph in a magnificent way. All along the way, Joseph's character and his integrity, listen, were superior to those around him. And the end result, listen, the end result was a double portion of reaping and blessing. You say, what is the point? The point is we live in a corrupt world. The world's a mess. And if you'll look around, you'll you'll begin to think, if you take your eyes off of God and you'll take your eyes off of his word, you'll begin to think that by doing the right thing, I'm not actually getting ahead, but I'm actually getting further and further and further behind. That's maybe what it feels like, and that certainly was what it looked like in Joseph's life. And I'm here today, I'm here to remind you today, listen, keep sowing to the Spirit. Keep doing the right thing. Keep keep your integrity, keep your character, keep your honor, keep loving God and loving his word, and just keep sowing that seed in the ground. For in due season, you will reap if you faint not. Joseph learned that. That's the whole point. Joseph had to endure some suffering, but in his season of reaping, by the way, which lasted significantly longer than his season of suffering, Joseph was blessed. I want you to see three specific ways in which Joseph was blessed with a double portion in our text. Perhaps, again, you find yourself a bit weary in well-doing. Perhaps you've looked around a little bit and thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is the year that I cheat on my taxes like everybody else. Maybe this is the year that I, uh, that, that I get ahead by stabbing somebody else in the back. Maybe this is the year that I finally drop out of church and just do my own thing and, 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 and give su- get Sundays back to myself. Maybe this is the year that I quit ministering in such a way and in doing such a thing. And I'm here to maybe just remind you uh, from the Holy Spirit of God, no, don't be weary. Keep doing right. Keep doing right. Notice that Joseph was blessed, number one, with a double portion of time with his beloved father. Joseph was blessed with a double portion of time with his beloved father. In the 49th chapter of Genesis, Jacob would gather all of his sons around him. They would all appear. They'd all stand by his bedside. And he would bless them, and they would hear some of his last words, and he would give some 
prophecies about them and their future. But listen, I want you to understand that prior to that, Joseph was blessed with some additional private time with his fathers without his brothers present. I think, I think perhaps some of that is an opportunity to make up for lost time. You see, for 20 years, Joseph was not able to be with his father. His father was not able to be with him. And of course, that was due to the, to the lies of his brothers and the decisions that his brothers had made. But I think more likely, it, this was a way of this was a way for God and Jake of God and Jacob, I should say, blessing Joseph for his faithfulness and superior character. In other words, this is more than just making up for lost time. No, this is a special gift. This is a special gift that God is giving to Joseph. Why? Why? Because Joseph has been faithful. Because Joseph has been a man of integrity. Because Joseph has done the right thing all along the way. This extra time, I I believe, was granted due to the following reasons. Number one, I believe it was due to a matter of trust, a matter of trust. In other words, as Jacob is dying, the Bible tells us in Genesis 47, we looked at it last week, that Jacob called Joseph to be near to him. And he made some requests of him. You remember that, don't you? He said, he said don't, don't, don't bury me here in Egypt. When I die, I want you to carry me up out of this place, and I want you to take me to the land of Canaan. And, and, and he says, I want you to put your hand under my thigh, and I want you to promise. And he says, I want you to look, I want you to swear to me once again that you'll do this. Why do you think, why do you think that he called Joseph near to make this promise? Well, number one, because Joseph was a man of authority. Joseph had risen to be the leader of the family. He was the superior one. In other words, he knew this. He knew if I can get Joseph on my side, I know this will get done. But I think, I think also, it's not just because of Joseph's position of power and authority. I think he called Joseph near because he knew, I can trust Joseph. You see, for 20 years, his, his other sons had flat out lied to his face. Yeah, yeah Dad, we, we found this. It looks, like, it looks like Joseph has been devoured by a wild beast. When in reality, they had taken his body and they had sold it to the Midianite merchantmen, and then they had taken that coat of many colors and they had stripped it in pieces and they had killed an animal and dipped it in its blood and they had been deceitful and they had deceived, listen, they deceived their father for 20 years. Listen, when that, when that type of trust is broken, don't expect to ever get it back. And don't, don't expect to ever be able to, uh, to look that person in the eye and that person is going to believe you implicitly. No, it's pretty obvious that Jacob thinks to himself, you know, I could ask these boys and, uh, and, and they, could, they could look me in my face and they could tell me, yes, dad, we'll do that. But I don't know that I can trust them, but I know who I can trust. His name is Joseph. And Joseph is called near. He says, listen, I'm bypassing Reuben and I'm bypassing Simeon. I'm, I'm bypassing your older brothers. I'm coming directly to you because I can trust you. So why was Joseph blessed with a double portion of time with his fathers? Well, number one, father, number one, because of a matter of trust. But then I would say number two, because of a matter of priority. When Joseph received word of his father's failing health, he put everything else in his life on hold so he could be by his father's side. You know, Joseph was a key leader. Likely, he had a lot to do. He kept a very busy schedule with meetings and meals and special events. But listen, all of those things would have to wait while he addressed, listen, what was most important. A month or so ago, the pastor that my wife and I sat under while we were in Bible college went home to be with the Lord. I remember learning a lot from him. He was a great preacher. He was a strong leader. He was a man, as far as I could tell, he was a man of character and integrity. But I think perhaps one of the greatest lessons he ever taught me was a lesson that 
He taught by example. I don't remember what semester we were in Bible college. I think maybe our sophomore year. And there was a semester in which we hardly saw him. He was very rarely in the pulpit. He's hardly around campus greeting students and keeping an eye on things and leading the ministry. He didn't, uh, he didn't preach in chapel once a week as he normally would do. Wasn't, wasn't, to be honest with you, he wasn't within 100 miles of the place. You might wonder, well, what was he doing? Was he vacationing in some exotic island? Was he on some type of a sabbatical? No, the reality was his dear mother was failing in health. She lived in, if I remember correctly, Cape Coral, Florida. Our college was in Knoxville, Tennessee. And for almost the entire semester, he was right by her side until she died. I never forgot that. Thought to myself, you know, I'll probably never pastor a church of this size, and I'll probably never have this type of ministry and, and have all of these responsibilities like this man. I'll, I'll probably never be in his demand of a, of a preacher and as a speaker as he is. And yet he was willing to put all of that on hold to deal with what was most important. Taught me something that day. In that semester, that season of life, he taught me about the matter of priority. The matter of priority. Joseph understood, my time with my dad is limited. The, you know, the, 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 the business opportunities and the government opportunities and the, the special meals and, and, and the special sessions perhaps of some type of a congress, all of that can wait. That will all be available when this is over. But, but my dad's not going to be around forever. And so he put all of that on hold. And he made it a priority to spend time with his father got to thinking about time and just how brief and how short it is. I came across this little poem. When as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later as I older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find while traveling on, time gone. And Joseph understood that. Joseph understood, I don't have much more time with my father. And so he put all of his duties aside, and he made it a matter of priority to rush to be by his dad's side. And in doing so, listen, he was given a double portion of time with his beloved father. Secondly, we notice that Joseph was blessed also with a double portion of blessing upon his children. In verses 5 through 20 of this particular text, we, we discover Jacob directly addressing his, his grandsons. You know, it's one thing to be blessed personally, but when my children are blessed, that's what truly rejoices the heart of a man, doesn't it? And that brings him great peace and joy and satisfaction. Joseph's double portion would continue here with the blessing placed upon his children. Joseph and his wife would have two sons. These boys would grow up in Egypt, but listen, they would, they would be profoundly more Hebrew than they would be Egyptian. In them, Joseph would receive two portions as opposed to his brethren who would only receive one. From this point on, Joseph's two sons would form two of the nation of Israel's tribes. Now, Jacob had 12 sons. And if you, if you, would, uh, and if you understand that these 12 sons would, uh, would form the 12 tribes of Israel, and so you have 12 sons and then you add Joseph's two, you say, well, that, we got a math problem here. We've got an issue here. Because that now makes 13, and as far as I know, there's only 12 tribes, and they're only dividing the land 12 different ways. 
Well, here's what you must understand. One of the tribes, a tribe by the name of Levi, they belonged not to Jacob, they belonged specifically to the Lord. And they were dedicated to his service. They would receive no land of their own. They would be given cities in each of the land of the various tribes, but they would have no land, no territory that would be specifically theirs. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says about the, the tribe of Levi, the Lord was their inheritance. What, a, what an incredible thing. As we consider the double portion of blessing upon Joseph's children, we find that it takes form in, in, in these ways. Number one, it takes form in their adoption. We find that in verses five and six. We pause for a moment while we were reading the scripture to, to highlight this, so we won't say much about it. But in these verses, Jacob claims these two boys as his own. You say, that's awful, that's awful, uh, you know, uh, pretentious of him to do such a thing. You know, how dare he? Those aren't his sons, those are Joseph. But remember, remember who's, who's speaking here? Jacob's not speaking. God is speaking through Jacob. God is saying, God is saying, Joseph, these boys aren't yours. These boys, they're gonna make up two of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Instead of Joseph, you just getting one tribe and one, one, one acre of land or one area of land, we might say. No, you're going to get two because both of your boys are going to be grafted in to the covenant promises that are made to Jacob and to his seed. Jacob reminded Joseph of how the blessing of God had been upon him in verse number three. And this blessing, he says, this blessing will now rest upon your sons. And Jacob promised, he says, listen, any additional children will be yours, <laughs> He said, you can have those, but these two belong to me. That's essentially what he's saying here in this text. But not only, not, not only the double portion in their adoption, but notice the double portion in their blessing. In verses 8 through 20, we find that Jacob blesses these boys, and he instructs them about who God is and what he does for his covenant people. He says, listen, by me putting my hands upon you, understand what you're getting. Number one, you're getting the God who provides. Would you look in verse number 15 of Genesis 48? He says, and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Maybe, maybe Joseph thought there for just a minute, Dad, you're still alive because I fed you. And Jacob had to remind him, listen, Joseph, you, you didn't feed me. No, no, God has fed me. God has fed me. God has taken care of me. He is the God who provides. What that must have been like for those young boys as they listened to their grandfather recall how faithful and how blessed God had been in the life of their grandfather. And they look, looked and they said, we can learn by example. If God's been faithful to granddaddy, God will be faithful to us as well. He's the God who provides. He's not only the God who provides, but he said to his grandsons, he said, he's also the God who redeems. Look at verse number 16. The angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers. He says to the sons, he says, I, I want you to know our God redeems. Jacob had dealt with much throughout his life, but God had kept him from succumbing to the evil. He now lay on his deathbed and he's set to bid, listen, he is set to bid this troublesome world of sin and sorrow farewell, and he's going to a land of rest. How does he know that? Because he knows the God who redeems. He knows the God who redeems. He had this confidence because the angel had redeemed him. Can I remind you that God's angel, Jesus Christ, by the way, that term is capitalized in verse number 16. I believe it's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. God's angel, Jesus Christ, is still in the redeeming business today. He's still able to redeem from evil. 
He's still able to redeem us from death. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the God who redeems. But lastly, he said, he is the God who blesses. He placed his name and the name of his father and grandfather upon them. This is really significant because they would inherit the same promises that were made to these men. The goal would be that just as these men followed God and served him with their whole heart, so Ephraim and Manasseh would do the same. They, would, they too would grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth because of the God who blesses and the God who redeems and the God who provides. Notice thirdly and lastly, Joseph was blessed in our text with a double portion of land. Jacob here continues to cling to the promise of God concerning the land, though he will die and never see this land with his physical eyes given to his sons and grandsons. Though he's never seen it, listen, though he's never seen it with his physical eyes, I gather as I, I read the words that he says, he's seen it hundreds of times through the spiritual eyes of faith. He's seen, he's seen his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons inhabiting the land and dividing the land and building cities and, and, and planting seed and, and growing a life in this most beautiful land in all of the earth. Look what he says. Look what he says in, in verse number 22. He says, Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. Listen, listen. The, the, the nation of Israel won't fight. Listen, they will not fight the Amorites for more than 400 years. That's how we know this is prophetic. They will not fight the Amorites for 400 years. It'd be 400 years before they would approach the Amorites and pull out a sword and with a bow. And yet Jacob is speaking about it as if it's already taken place. Listen, listen, I don't know how long it'll be before I see that heavenly city, but I can stand here today and I can speak as if it's already taken place. How do I do that? I do that through the eyes of faith. He speaks about it as if it's already transpired. The fulfillment of this would come when Israel would enter the promised land. Joseph's sons, listen, would inhabit land, listen, get a double portion. They would inhabit land on both sides of the Jordan River, east and west. And in both cases, their land would be the largest area of land on both sides of the river, fulfilling, fulfilling the very promise that Jacob made to Joseph. Joseph, you've been faithful, therefore you will receive a double portion. As you think about your life, as I think about my life, and the challenge that it is to live our lives with integrity and character. Sometimes, maybe just every once in a while, we need just a little bit of a, of a carrot on a stick that's sort of dangled out in front of us. We need to keep a, a prize in mind. We're pressing toward the mark, right? We're pressing toward the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And some of you may be sitting here today and you may say, you know, I'm just done with this whole life. I feel like I'm not getting ahead. And I've, I've maybe been sent by God to say to you, hey, just keep going. Just keep going, keep going because blessing is waiting. A double portion is waiting for those who will be faithful. When I stand the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will, shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Oh, he'd have me rich and I stand there poor 
stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I don't know about you, but I want a double portion. I don't want just, I don't just want a double portion for me. I want a double portion for my children. I want a double portion for my grandchildren. Seems, it seems as if the life Joseph lived allowed it, lent itself to blessing, not just being on, on him, but also blessing being on his children, on his grandchildren, and on his great-grandchildren. I want the same. Joseph lived with character and integrity, and it blessed people he would never meet, but would flow from him. I want a double portion. Heads are bowed.